from the book of Isaiah. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, today we are resuming our study in the book of Isaiah. And we're ready for chapter 7 this morning. Not a super long chapter. It is only 25 verses. Uh, this chapter deals with kind of the reign of, of uh, Ahaz, or Ahaz, King Ahaz. And it deals with the threat of an invasion. Um, this is the chapter also that gives us uh, that very, very famous verse, uh, the prophetic verse about the Messiah and how he would be born of a virgin and how he would be God among us. Let me read you this little introduction here from F.B. Meyer about chapter seven. He says, a new cycle of prophecy begins here, covering the reign of of Ahaz. The complete history which illustrates these chapters is given in Second Chronicles chapter 28. It's the invasion of Judah by Syria, and Samaria was permitted because a severe warning was needed to enforce Isaiah's remonstrance and appeals. The holy city, as Isaiah predicted, was not to be trodden down by an invader, though it would pass through severe suffering and anxiety. This immunity, which neither Ahaz nor his people deserved, was secured by Isaiah's faith and prayer, pleading as he did God's ancient covenant. This great prophecy of the coming Emmanuel must have greatly encouraged that generation as it has all succeeding ones. It inspired uh, Psalms 46, 1-11. through 11. What greater comfort... Have we then that Jesus is the companion of our pilgrimage? Though the corner lands were desolate, the cattle of the mountain pasture would yield butter and the wild bees honey, and this would supply the nation's needs till the invader had withdrawn. Though God chastens us, he will not forget our daily bread. And so really this this prophecy is it's it's like you deserve like complete annihilation, right? Like we've been through the sins of Israel. It's, it, it's much like what we see happening in our culture today. And God allowed the, uh, the threat of this invasion to, to kind of the threat of this invasion, the threat of being prod, uh, trotted down. Uh, he allowed that to cause suffering and anxiety, but did not permit complete annihilation. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to our, uh, when we get to that passage about uh, the Messiah, Emmanuel, and how it, interesting enough, if you're just looking at the context, 
you wouldn't guess that it had anything to do with the future. And that's the bizarre thing that we keep talking about when it comes to prophecy. And while why it's so difficult for you to try to understand and know the future based on prophecy. Because there's little pieces that you may not even think are prophecy. Or, you know, something along those lines that you don't understand. Prophecy is to be understood in hindsight. It's to be understood. It's so that when it happens, you can say, my God dares to predict the future. But it's not a mechanism to understand the future, if that makes sense. You can just look at the apostles as an example. They literally walked with Jesus for three years and still didn't have a clue because they, and well, their expectations were, even though they had Jesus with them, even though he was telling them things, their expectations and understanding was still embedded in them about what that prophetic time would look like based on their understanding of the prophecies, which turned out to be not correct, right? So keep that in mind uh, when you're listening to prophecy teachers and things of that nature. Let's get to it. We're going to read chapter 7. It's only 25 verses. And uh, I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that it blesses you this morning. Let's have a look. King James Bible. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, and his heart of his people, and the trees of the wood were moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou, and, Sh- and Shir Jashub the son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field, and say unto him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria, and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah, and vex it. Let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin, and within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. So please note, before we move forward, This is an important thing to understand in our day. We live in a time when the enemy uh, is no longer hiding, right? Um, 
the evil that's being done in our world and in our country is now out in the open. And in fact, they do the evil in the midst of us and in front of us and to our faces as almost to mock us, right? Like, this is... They they do the things they do blatantly and in the open with and unapologetically because they want to make it obvious to you that even with complete and utter absurdities, they rule over us. They'll put out politicians and leaders who can't tie their own shoelaces as a way of saying, look, this is how much power we have. We can literally roll these people out in front of you, call them your leaders, and there's nothing you can do about it. Used to all this evil and all this stuff was still going on, but it was more hidden. It was more behind the scenes. But they've learned that no matter what they do, they've they've got the hive mind. They've got the complete control over the people. They can do as they please, and there's no there's absolutely no repercussions. The people can discover their filth, can discover their crimes, can discover all, that they're doing the most unthinkable evils. And nothing is done about it. It doesn't matter. So now we don't even have to speculate what their plans are, what their evil intent is. It's out in the open. They, t- they just literally tell us. They'll tweet it out. Oh, we're going to do this evil, and there's nothing you can do about it. Here's the point I'm trying to make, based on what we're just reading here. Just because they have plans to do evil... And they've spent decades establishing those plans. It doesn't trump God's sovereignty. And though they conspire to do these things, it doesn't mean they're always going to get away with it. There's God has a will. He's allowed them to do some of the things he's, they've done, and he may allow more. I don't know. But they will not be able to accomplish beyond what God will allow and what he's decided to allow. We see that example in what we just read. Isaiah is telling the king, using the words of God, saying that they not to fear this intent by Syria and Ephraim. Like they intend to invade, they intend to overthrow and set up their own king. That is what it says their intent is. It says, take heed and be quiet and fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin within Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken counsel against thee, saying, so here's their plan, let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. But... Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. So he's saying, this is their plan, but they're going to fail in it. They have some evil, in our day, those in control and power have some really, really evil plans. 
they make them known. But we are people of faith, and we serve a higher power. And our God is the creator of all things. And our Savior is sitting at the right hand of God with his feet up. And he's going to rule the nations until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. We need not be afraid. Now, here's, the, here's this last verse before we move forward that we read. It says, And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. So there's this faith component. So God's trying to get through to Ahaz, a wicked king, saying, you got to believe, you got to trust. So here we go. Verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. So in this instance, God doesn't really prefer that we ask for a sign unless he tells us to ask for a sign. So unless he intends to give us a sign. Think about when they kept asking Jesus, give us a sign, give us a sign. What did Jesus say? He said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign because you're without faith. But in this instance, God's like, okay, ask me for a sign. But Ahaz said, verse 12, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. He said, hear ye now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings." So here's the sign. A virgin is going to give birth to a son. He's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God among us, right? And before that child comes, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. This, this is difficult for a few reasons. First of all, we, know, we, we have the, the, the privilege of hindsight, right? We know what the story pointed to and how it was fulfilled. But what's wild is if you're King Ahaz, if you're living in Isaiah's time, you're, wouldn't you, would you not expect this sign to happen then? Or a similar sign to happen then? There's a couple ways I reconcile this. Number one, maybe there was, maybe this sign actually did happen then also. But unlikely, right? The other option is how Matthew Henry describes it. Dealing, and he's dealing, his statement here is dealing with both the disbelief of Ahaz and this prophecy. So here's what Matthew Henry says. He says, nothing is more grievous to God 
than distrust. But the unbelief of man shall not make the promise of God of no effect. In other words, if God makes a promise, whether you believe it or not, he will do what he said he's going to do. Let me read that again. But the unbelief of man shall not make a promise of God of no effect. The Lord himself shall give a sign. How great soever your distress and danger. Of you, the Messiah is to be born, and you cannot be destroyed while that blessing is in you. So that's kind of Matthew Henry saying the, the promise here is that they wouldn't be completely annihilated. Why? Because this prophecy about the Messiah still has to be fulfilled from this people, from the house of David. And so that's really the sign. It's like you won't be completely destroyed because God with us has to come from you yet. Now, obviously, we need to read the fulfillment of these real quick, this prophecy real quick, right? Would be wrong not to. So we're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, uh, six, seven verses here. It says, now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, obviously, that's Yahushua or Yeshua, which means Jehovah saves. Verse 22, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So Matthew's saying, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy by Isaiah. And the reason why he was to be called Emmanuel is because that means something. It's to be interpreted, God with us. Now we'll read it a little bit. That's from Joseph's perspective. Let's look at Luke and look at Mary's perspective. Starting with verse 27 of chapter 1, To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and the kingdom there shall be no end. And then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? 
And the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So there's the great fulfillment of this prophecy of Isaiah. Let's continue on here. We only have a handful more verses to wrap up this morning. Verse 17, The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the utmost part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they shall come and shall rest all of them in the desolate valleys and in the holes of the rocks and upon the thorns and upon all bushes. In the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired, namely by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it shall also consume the beard. It shall come to pass in that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep. And it shall come to pass for the abundance of milk that they shall give shall eat Shall they give, he shall eat butter. For butter and honey shall everyone eat that is left in the land. And it shall come to pass in that day that every place shall be, where there were a thousand vines and a thousand silverlings, shall even be for berries and thorns. With arrows and bows shall men come thither, because all the land shall become briars and thorns. And on all the hills that shall be digged the mattock. It shall not come thither the fear of briars and thorns, but it shall be for the sending forth of oxen and for the treading of lesser cattle. And that is the end of chapter 7. Now next week we'll be looking at chapter 8, which deals with the prediction of the Assyrian invasion. And then chapter 9, more prophecy, more prophetic utterings, and a vision. So that's what is on the docket for next week. I hope that you've been blessed this morning, and I hope that you've been encouraged and strengthened. And the big takeaway for me this morning out of this study is just that reminder that even though the enemy may have plans, and even though we may deserve judgment, it's all in God's hands, and it's not going to play out how man has decided in his heart it's going to play out. All this to say, so when you're, when you're seeing these video clips, and, you're, and don't let your heart be deeply troubled and wearied because of what they say they intend to do. At the end of the day, they can only do what God permits them to do. So trust God, seek Him, draw near to Him, cling to Him, rely on Him. Cast your eyes on the things above. And don't let the filth of the enemy cause your soul to faint. That's all I have for you this morning. 
Thanks for listening. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Peace and grace be with you all. And until next time, God bless.